don't get their second, don't get their third. The near post, get their first if it's for football news that you thirst. The near post, get there, get there first. Hi and welcome to the near post. I am Nick Amys, and with me in the studio today I have Clive and Gerald. How are you guys? Very well, Good day, Nick. Nick. Good day, Clive. Yeah, uh, we've got a lot to talk to talk about again this week. Uh, Socceroo squad coming out for the East Asian Cup qualifiers, as well as you know the general A League action. Uh, first of all, if you would like to tell us how much you like the show or all that jazz, you can email us on nearpostradio at gmail.com. Uh, you can catch the podcast on iTunes under Near Post Football, as well as on the blog, nearpostblogspot.com, where you may occasionally find a post from the blog runner Eamon. Um, yeah, so starting off today, we've got a show dedication. Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there to Hogo Osiak, who has picked a very interesting Socceroo squad, admittedly. FIFA selection dates have forced his hand here, but he has picked a majority of A-League players, young ones as well, so it's going to be interesting to see who gets a run and against who is the main question, I'm going to say, because obviously in this uh, upcoming set of matches, only North Korea is going to provide a real test for them. So whether you know he's going to start off with you know the B-squad from this and then you know give everyone a proper run-out against North Korea... Yeah, I'm interested to see who he'll pick, because it's really going to show who's in his selection frame of mind for 2014. No better opportunity to blood some young ones, I think, Nick. Yeah, I'm especially excited to see uh, the likes of Tom Rogic and even Eli Babaj to get a run up front. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see if they can uh, put a few Oceania scorelines back on the map for us. What is the B squad out of that squad anyway? I mean, um, they look all a bit B-ish to me. Yeah, I, I was looking through the lineup, and I I must admit, uh, there's a lot of you know fifty fifty decisions there. Like for example, Michael Maroney and Ivan Franić should right back. I can't really pick between the two of them. It's just really a matter of choice in regards to that. Uh, maybe Adam Taggart might be a little bit out on the outer when it comes to playing up front. But yeah, the, the, it's a pretty strong squad all round. I'm not particularly um, excited by the inclusion of Richard Garcia. I thought his time in the Socceroos was pretty much over after that Germany match. But, yeah, if he if he does the job, I can't really complain too much there. Well, at the risk of sounding controversial, what about Brett Emerton? Uh, I've yeah. got to say his form's not marvellous. I watched him on the weekend. He looked pretty ordinary. Uh, and, you know, maybe he's past his use-by date. I mean, um, I, I liked Emerton when he was at his, his peak. And I just feel now he seems a little bit flat. He doesn't seem anything like as good as he was at the start of the season. I've been gobsmacked at the type of season I think Brett's had. I think um, having someone like Del Piero in his club side um, would have made him a lot better than he has been over the the previous season. But that hasn't happened at all. I actually think he's looking at someone who's coming very quickly towards the end of his playing career. Um, So unless he pulled something out the bag, certainly in this club scene, I... Don't know why he warrants his um, his place in the in the Socceroo squad. Yeah, it's mm. possible this could be maybe like his international swan song. He play play a few easy games and then get to call it a day. Uh, but yeah, like I, I, I must admit, he hasn't been particularly impress, impressive uh, with Sydney FC this season. Obviously, not none of the squad really has been that impressive for Sydney FC. But yeah, he's definitely one of those players who you thought this guy can make a difference this season. He's got all that experience. He plays really well when he wants to. But, yeah, he just hasn't really hit that sort of form that we expect of him. No. I've got to also say I'm pretty excited about seeing Aaron Moy and Tom Rogic there. 
Um, I, I don't know how they're going to be used necessarily. I haven't seen, obviously, I haven't seen them, but very much playing together. So you know, it would be interesting to see how the coach is going to use them. But they're both pretty exciting players on their own. They've got a lot of skill and a lot of impact in games, and that's kind of what you're looking for with young players like that. And the form players of the first eight games. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Certainly. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully, uh, you know, we we see some proper development of the Socceroos squad from there. Um, yeah, I'm just hoping that the results are good as well. I, I can't really, you know, complain too much. But if we don't need beat North Korea by at least one goal, there's going to be something serious. Nick, do you know anything there. about the um, the setup of the the um, the championship? So as it stands, we uh, we go into a you know we're, we're in a group stage with four other teams, which is Chinese Taipei, Guam, Hong Kong, and North Korea, and then we each play each other once over the course of a week in Hong Kong, and then obviously the standard three points, one point, zero points applies. The top of the team of that group then goes through to the final tournament, which is next year in July, end of June, start of July, which is a four-team tournament, so whoever qualifies from this, Japan, South Korea, China, and then that's just each team plays each other once, and then whoever wins that wins. Whoever, Whoever finishes top of the group wins the tournament. Right. Okay, so being selfish, if we were looking at it from an A-League perspective, indeed, we could have um, a couple of our better players playing four games in a week, coming back and then supposedly fitting back into their club side again. Yeah, that, yeah. that's going to be a, a very interesting uh, problem. Obviously, with a squad of 20, I feel like he'll probably use every person. So you won't have the same person playing four games and coming back. They'll probably play two and two, or at, at the worst, maybe two and a half and one, because... You know, at half time in a game against Chinese Taipei, you're not going to give everyone you know the full ninety minutes. You're going to you know, play play it around a little bit. But yeah, it's... I, I suppose the point is just whether or not Osix um, actually going to take heed of um, not burning players out. Um, at the moment, this isn't a high profile tournament, although it is an international tournament, and um, it's certainly worthy of trying to field a side that looks like they're moving in the right direction. Um, but he can't afford to get the um, the clubs offside with some very important World Cup qualifiers coming up. Um, they've, they've all got to be at their peak, and um, we don't want them having too many minutes. Plus, yeah. plus, I've got to say, you know, there's maximum chance here for stumbles and embarrassment. Um, you'd say a lot of these have got, these sides wouldn't have a chance against Australia at their rankings stage, but I've seen some odd things in world football. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it only takes one real big stumble to kind of upset the confidence of the whole squad and possibly the way the coach sets the team up as well. Um, I wouldn't be expecting us to be losing to Taipei, to Chinese Taipei. But, you you uh, think we'd lose some of that um, good publicity we've actually earned if suddenly we had an embarrassment? Certainly. I, th- I think this, it's got to be a success. We've got to be successful with this. Otherwise, it's going to be um, a bad experience. It's going to come back being a bad review. And some of these players that are coming back, maybe with injuries as well, are going to be affecting their clubs. Bad welfare, bad kind of uh, mm. relationship with the A-League clubs. And doesn't bode well for the more important games later mm. on. Good point, Clive. Over to you, Osik. Yeah. Okay, so we'll just add on to a little bit of news now. And the NAA League is going to possibly welcome its 10 millionth uh, on-site fan. Hang on, you say that again? Ten How millionth? many? 10 million over the course of eight seasons, which is all right. I mean, uh, it's an average of about 11,000 
per match. So currently we've had 9,940,912 fans have witnessed the Hyundai Air League matches so far. So apparently, whoever is a 10 million fan, which is supposed to occur this weekend, depending on how attendances go and whatnot, is they're going to receive two VIP tickets to the Hyundai Air League Grand Final this season. So They splashed well, out there yeah. then, did they? Yeah, so, so to <laughs> those listening, if you are going to attend an A-League game this season, you know, cross your fingers as you walk through at the turnstile. But yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's a great sign of development. Obviously, 10 million is a pretty big landmark. Um, hopefully, 20 million is going to come a lot faster. But yeah, I, I just hope the averages continue to improve. Everything's been really great this season so far in terms of that. Obviously, Del Piero has helped Sydney FC's averages up like 9,000 from last season. But yeah, we just need to keep building on that sort of thing. Hopefully. And perhaps a little bit of perspective there. That's really interesting that we've actually got an average of about 11,500 um, paying spectators per match. It wasn't that long ago that um, um, our game was actually being compared with... Um, national basketball in Australia and the two were seen to be um, um, neck and neck um, quite clearly you can see where Australian basketball is at the moment and where the A-League is so uh, I think that's credit to the to the round ball game that's that's a bit of a skew though I've got to say yeah. looking, looking at the figures I mean you've got to take into account uh, Gold Coast yeah which we're getting what uh, New Zealand two, Knights as well yeah two two spectators and a dog and uh, the New Zealand the New Zealand crowds aren't very good or hadn't been very good up until um, the the new club took its took its place, and I think you know when you put those into perspective, and you've got North Queensland as well. I mean, you you kind of really, uh, it's not that bad. It doesn't seem to be that bad. I think eleven thousand is kind of like an un, an underestimate of where we are over yeah. that number. Of well, they they've actually done a comparison, and f- for our current season average, which is about fourteen thousand, it's ranked like number ten in or in the professional leagues in the world at the moment. Which is That's pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Like obviously you've got the likes of the EPL, the Bundesliga, and all that ahead. But obviously, considering like leagues like in Portugal, for example, obviously you have two, three teams that tend get a lot of fans, but lower down it evens out and drops a lot. Do, do so, you think we've got a problem with venues in Australia? I mean, there's one of the things that annoys me is that I'd really like to see um, crowds in a in a rectangle and with people close to the game and most of the English. Um, grounds have got that kind of layout. These these the proper, big Australian... the proper rectangular stadiums, rather than the multi-use, is what everyone likes to do yeah. in the council here. Yeah, it's obviously it's a problem for the likes of Sydney and Melbourne because they're the ones that usually use those. But when you think about it, like obviously Suncorp is a pretty you know pretty good stadium for football because yeah, nice rectangular atmosphere. Um, Newcastle's new development, I think, will bring it to a proper rectangle as well. Um, you do have a bit of a problem with atmosphere at Central Coast, I mean, because that big open end at one side and then the Mariners at the other end, they have no roof over their heads. So a lot of the noise does go up rather mm. than staying in. But still, you're, you're still pretty close to the action. Like, you can you know, basically see the players. You know. I just think we can take yeah. some, some notes of yeah. some of the things that the J-League did. Um, I, I went to a J-League game in 2010, oh. And it was a very small support base, and it was a small small crowd. It was only about ten to fifteen. But it was 000. a passionate support. But it was it was a really passionate. Yeah. It was a great atmosphere, and it was just a fantastic thing to be at. It was yeah. a great it was a great experience, and I think that kind of makes a difference when you've got people sitting so far away from the game yeah. and the noise going straight up into the the sky rather than into the ground around the ground and in you know actually getting people involved. Yeah. 
Do you reckon that the A-League might be better off pl- playing a lot of its matches f- even later in the afternoon? I know I know it's not quite as common over here, but in Spain, some of their matches start at like 9 o'clock at night, obviously because you know, the temperatures during the day are too bad. So for, for, for a city like Perth, for example, some of those games are about pushing 40 degrees. Do you think that the crowd would be better if they aren't forced to sit in 40-degree heat? Well, I've actually had a lot to say about this in the past. This competition was actually designed to be a night competition uh, and I'm still kind of a little bit disturbed by the number of the the youth league games that are played in the mid-afternoon. Yeah, they they usually start at 11 or 3. Yeah, they're not not actually played at the same venues necessarily, but part of the thing with the A-League was when it first started, most of the games were night games and they were kind of... They were uh, programmed to be on... Uh, when when it was pretty cool, but the the problem seems to be that they want to have all the matches butted up together, so you've actually got a, a flow of matches yeah. all the way through. Fox rather Sports, than, yeah. rather than just having like yeah. the two seven thirty games, they have to have a five thirty and a seven thirty, so it can be all live at once. And, That's right. So yeah. that, you know, you've, you, I, I'm, I was just thinking about the triple header on on the weekend that I actually sat through, uh, which was good. It was good to see a game followed by a game followed by a game. But, you know, that's kind of a, a bit of convenience rather than having, having a delayed telecast and having players play in maybe more comfort. Yeah. yeah what, what exactly do you mean by an evening kickoff, though, um, Clive? I mean, I, I, I think <coughs> late afternoon is an excellent time, and perhaps when the sun is going down. Um, but I think as far as the, um, the crowds are concerned, if you're getting young kids in, I'm just wondering about an 8, 9 o'clock kickoff when you've actually got the game finishing and people getting home about, about midnight. So from the point of view of the, the demographic that you're trying well, to attract. Well, needs some creative <clears throat> thinking about it. I think, I think there's a player Agreed. safety aspect yeah. to this, and I, I don't think we want to go down the, the track that the AFL went down a few years ago when they had uh, pre-season games being played in, in the full summer temperatures and people were being taken to hospital with, with heat exhaustion. Um, and I, we're kind of, we've, we've had pretty kind summers the last couple of years. This year they're saying it's going to be much hotter, so I'm not sure how we'd go with games kicking off in mid-afternoon with 45-degree mm. heat. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Um, but once you've, um, you've, you've signed that TV contract that commits you to a particular timetable, pretty hard to push a, a game back a couple of hours because it's going to be a stinker of a day. So uh, I think there are some, some inherent problems yeah. in that. From what I understand, the only real contingency they have against that sort of thing is putting that extra drinks break in halfway through the game. I'm, look, it doesn't make a, a massive difference, but I suppose anything that helps the players, you know, getting along that sort of thing is a lot better. But yeah, it's it is a problem, especially in Perth, because they they always try and roster Perth so it is you know afternoon in Perth, but evening in the eastern states, so you, you can yeah. still watch the game. So. I think Adelaide has similar yeah. problems. That's pretty hot. It's going to be interesting to see how those home matches for them pan out over the course of the season. Because I remember the Mariners playing a game there over in Perth last season, and apparently a lot of their players uh, couldn't train for the next two or three days because they were so exhausted from playing in that sweltering heat and then having to fly back for a yeah. couple of days later. But yeah, uh, moving on now. Um, Newcastle have you know shot shot a couple barbs at Sydney FC after they approached Gary Van Egmont to you know take over their vacant coaching position. It's it's nice to see that Sydney FC have been rebuffed again by another A League coach because I, I I was very disappointed when they tried to snag Graham Arnold. Like obviously, how many ideas can you steal from the other New South Wales teams? Come on, lift your game. Mm-hmm. But yeah, look uh, as it stands, Frank Farina is the odds on favourite to take over the position apart from like. 
you know, eight different Italian managers that Del Piero somehow knows throughout his career. So, look, it's very interesting to see how they're going with this. Is, not, is it a poison I'm not, I'm not, chalice, though? Yeah, yeah, I'm not really sure they have a clear direction as to who they want. They're kind of... They're, they're definitely looking more like a Chelsea of the A-League. They, they, just, want, they just want the best manager available at the time. Uh, you, you're holding back a laugh there, Clive. I know, I can tell, I can tell. But Get off look, the floor. It's, yeah. it's, it's, they just kind of like pander around. They just want to win. They don't know how they want to win, though. So they're just going to take their di- ideas from everywhere else and then see what works for them, but they don't want... I think the subtext here is, is whether or not the, um, the, the club want to be perceived as um, the premier club, and I don't mean that necessarily from the number of trophies they have, but if they're seen as the club of bling um, and they want to keep on, they want to keep that going, then clearly they're going to want a particular manager that, um, that profiles a club that um, always seeks the best. Can um, they afford more bling? Uh, well, that's, that's a very good point. Um, you don't know how the, the funds are generated within their... Say, very worthy board. You don't know whether or not Del Piero has actually paid for himself because of the amount of sales he's had of shirts. So you don't know what sort of um, debt that he will incur on the club. Um, lots of questions. I would love the club to be more transparent. Um, I think that more than anything would, would give us a really good indication. But unfortunately, that's not the way things are. Um, so Do you think they're the first victim of the Western Sydney um, creation? The um the fact that you know now there's a split in the Sydney player base, and basically people now can't actually put a competitive side on the park. I mean, Western Sydney seem to be doing pretty well out of it. It's a, it's a, bit, it's a bit odd to say that oh, in three million people, Sydney can't seem to find you know a decent team. Whereas you you think of you know teams with much smaller player pools, for example, the Central Coast, they only have what three hundred thousand, and they still manage to find a couple of good players from their local area every year. It's just a matter of whether they're actually going about things the right way. I think. I mean, well, it is a lot. It is a lot more difficult in Sydney because you don't have that sole you know, control. Like obviously, everyone in the Central Coast goes to the Mariners, whereas in Sydney you've got your Mark Harrings, your Sydney United, that sort of thing. They don't. They're not that willing to work with FC because you know they still had their proud heritage. We're in a cell clubs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I was actually just responding to the fact that uh, one of the arguments for not expanding the league was the restricted player base. Is what I heard. Only uh, so many decent players. Only so many decent players, team. even spread thinner yeah. across the country. I mean, you know, I, I've got my tongue firmly yeah. in my cheek yeah. there, but um, something's got to happen for Sydney yeah. anyway, because I think at the moment they're not playing terribly well. I think there's another question as well, in, just in regard to um, looking at what the Wanderers have done. It's not simply a matter of the availability of the players, and that's a, you know, that's a, a whole Pandora's box in regard to looking at whether or not there are enough um, decent players to have a league for, for more teams. But also the way that the Sydney marketplace looks like it's being manipulated in regards to the supporter base, it's simply that we are creating a working-class club in Sydney to stand up against the bling club yeah. so it's very important I think that they keep those two identities because that looks like that, that's, that's where the narrative lies as far as the Sydney market based are concerned so if Sydney City would try and change that then you're looking at um, a different set of circumstances and who knows where that may go yeah, it's it's obviously a formula that works in a lot of other major rivalries you know, in world football. So yeah, yeah, big the big versus small, the big, rich versus poor. It's just a question of whether Sydney can actually sustain that sort of image. Obviously, you know they've laid out a lot of money for Del Piero, and then if it doesn't pay off, they've probably they've probably got a ton of endorsements in, in regards to finishing in the finals as well. So 
it's going to be interesting to see how you know they progress with this coaching decision. Like, if they leave it for too long, they're going to be out of playoffs contention, buying like a minor miracle. It's still so, pretty early, though, Nick. Yeah, I, I mean, it's still pretty early in the season. It's a it's a long season for these guys, and um, you know we're really still. I suppose you know, I suppose six out of ten teams making the finals is. Yeah, you've got a pretty, pretty good, good odds. odds. <laughs> pretty good odds. <laughs> I think you're also... It's just, it's just who's going to finish, like it's kind of, you know, a, a musical chairs type yeah. thing, isn't it? Who's going to finish in the bottom four? Mm, yeah, I think you're also damned from what you were talking about earlier, Clive, as far as the crowds are concerned. If you have architecture that reflects a particular club, you have uh, Wanderers that has um, 10, 11 and 12,000 in Parramatta, that's a far better televisual experience as well as a supporter experience than is if you've got almost twice that watching Sydney City, but in a large stadium and that actually has no atmosphere at all. Now, as much as a code can make good atmosphere, I know where I'd rather go if I was actually wanted to be sucked into what the supporters are liking. Mm. And um, I think they're going to suffer because of where they choose to play and how many supporters they actually have. Yeah, well, that's a, that is a problem that they've had for a while. Like Their average has never been over 16,000 for a season. And that was, that was year one. So when you're not getting over half your stadium full, there's a lot of empty space that just detracts from the game. I remember going to see the A-League Grand Final between the Mariners and the Jets, and that was a really good crowd, 27,000, but it was in a 44,000-seater stadium, and it just didn't feel like a proper game. I went to the preliminary final, but that was almost capacity. It was 20,000 in in Central Coast Stadium. It was pumping atmosphere. It felt like a great game, but all that noise just gets lost in those extra seats. And it it detracts from the spectacle, I have to say. Games rock when they're full, whether yeah. or not it's 5,000, 10,000 or 15,000. They don't when you have that number in a, in a ground that holds upward of 30, 40, 50,000. I think Sydney was enjoying its first up luck with the Del Piero debut in Sydney um, in that first game. 35,000 people, fantastic mm. game, mm. five goals. Uh, I mean, that was a fantastic atmosphere. The code was rocking. It was great. It was mm. wonderful. But, you know, if the fortunes go down, maybe the crowds go down yeah. as well. So is it possible that they should probably do what Melbourne Victory did and move to a smaller stadium, but then go back to Sydney Football Stadium for those bigger matches, the showcases like the Melbourne Victory versus Sydney, the, the Sydney What Derby ground are you well. talking about? What I have no, no idea. I'm just trying to think of Sydney, Sydney Football to, Grounds. They're not going to go out to Parramatta, are they? No. <laughs> that would not right. go down too it, well. I'd, yeah. be, I'd be disappointed if um, people within the club weren't thinking about where it is that they should yeah. be playing. Oh. Yeah, um, well, we'll just move on to the weekend's matches, actually, now. Um, we'll start with Sydney FC's game. So, Adelaide United managed to get another no, another win. They're still top of the ladder, unbelievably, after this uh, eight rounds of the season. Uh, it, it came a bit late, though. Uh, Dario Vitasic poking home in the 89th minute. Oh, it was pretty pretty close run, I think. Evan Kostopoulos fluffed his lines. Massive air swing. Thankfully, <laughs> Vitasic was there to pick up the pieces. Was that a foul? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but... Look, Sydney FC have got to get their defence sorted because that was woeful. You can't let you can't leave two players unmarked in the box. One give enough time for one of them to take the shot first, and then for the second one to put it in in the 90th minute. You've got to have some sort of focus. I was actually a little bit more frustrated by watching the midfield play. In fact, the build-up that Sydney had didn't seem to be at all well. It didn't seem to be a smooth build-up. Is it just it more to be... find Del Piero and hope he does something? Well, I don't think I don't think they're actually. If they're going to do that, they'd actually find him straight yeah. away because he's the only one that actually doesn't give the ball He gets away. into space as well. He gets yeah. into space and he makes chances and he can turn players. But you can't build a team around one person who's going to do everything. 
you need to have. I, I think they were missing some fluidity. I think they uh, they didn't they didn't look like their backs and their midfield knew how to actually play out from the back. It looked kind of stilted, and they kept going back into the backs, and people are just so bored by is that. This, is this Brett they, Yeah, is this where they really miss Nicky Carlin? Like I know they they let him go to bunny us in UAE, maybe to make room for Del Piero, but. Would it have been better to have Carl in that central midfield position and then Del Piero in the hole, and then it would have you would have had more of a link between defence midfield attack. Whereas now it's just like you have McFlynn playing in that linking midfield. You're not going to bag out my friend Terry McFlynn. Oh, I, I'm definitely bagging him out. He's, <laughs> the crowd loves him. Yeah. I love to see him take it off. He's anyway. a favourite. Yeah. So look, they just they just miss that link between getting the ball from the keeper to Del Piero. Where yeah, so their attacking third is good. Like they've scored plenty of goals, but they just can't seem to find that consistent link between the defence and the attack. Just seems the build-up's really slow, yeah. and it seems really jerky. They don't seem to be, you know, actually fighting. Can I easy. mention that there was a player called Scott Jamison that played in Sydney last year, who indeed is having a really good season with glory, and has got himself into the Socceroo squad. No. You're trying to embarrass people. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, we, we could talk. We can talk forever about how how this club has left this player go and they've done all that all that stuff since they've left them. But yeah, we'll just we'll move on to uh, the the next game for the weekend. And it was a pretty pretty thrilling contest, I must say. Melbourne Heart went up two goals in the first five minutes, but ended up blowing the lead. And it was a pretty pretty decent three 0 draw in the end. Uh, Ryan Griffiths winning the penalty in the 86th minute, I think. To, Give the Newcastle Jets a draw, but yeah. What's going on with Melbourne Heart? Like, they're they're so hot and cold all the time. It's now starting to happen within games itself. Is I it just, a fear yeah, of winning? Maybe. I think they. I think they're too afraid to put themselves out there as a decent team. Like, as we saw last season, once they finally got to that second place in the ladder, that everyone was talking about the Melbourne Heart, they just fell apart. They they didn't win for about eight games. And is it a manager just learning his job? Oh. It's 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 a different uh, situation, I think, because they've it's been a problem for them for quite some time now. When you think, I looked at their squad from season one, and the back four has only had one change. So Michael Moroni, uh, Simon Colosimo, Aziz Beich, and Clint Bolton have all been there since season one, but their defense is still probably the worst part of their game. So is is it a question of? the coach not giving them the right tactics, well, these players are too attacking-minded and they don't know how to you know, delegate defensive responsibilities. Or has he just got the wrong players? Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a very I interesting I don't see him doing a lot of tinkering with the side when they're mm. on there, I've got to say. And that yeah. kind of, Normally, and I, mean, I hear Fox talk, rave on all the time about these coaches tinkering with the lineups, and they go... Oh, what a great move that was by Ange, you know, to switch. Bring on Andrew and Nabu and uh, yeah, yeah. scoring the goal. Yeah. And, uh, the, you know, yeah. this sort of thing. Yeah. And they're always, and you know, same sort of but, thing with Arnie. But yeah. they don't say a lot about, they don't say a lot about Aloisi. About Aloisi. Yeah. And Aloisi seems to stand there with his hand in his mouth most of the time. Um, or his arms crossed. Or his arms. And, and yeah. you know, yeah. there's things happening out there. And I think if you, if you know what you're doing with the game, you need to be able to make yeah. changes. He, he seems very. He seems very unassured of what he's going to do with this team because when you when you taken a look at how he's recruited this season, he's brought in a lot of very older, experienced players to to just you make know, him sound like pensioners. Yeah. So, well, you've got Dylan, you've got Dylan McAllister, you've got Vince Grella coming in to replace the likes of yeah Curtis Goods and that sort of stuff. Richard Garcia as well. So, they've got three thirty. 30-plus players, plus Stephen Gray coming in from the... Denver. Garcia delivered both their yeah. goals on the weekend, so... So they are moving 
towards a more you know older experienced approach so and I think Alois is actually yeah. looking like a conservative yeah. manager. I, I don't think he's prepared to take those chances. Yeah. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how he develops over the course of the season. But I think we're going to see some very languid football from Melbourne Heart. As Great comeback from the Jets, on. though, I thought, in that oh, game. Yes. Uh, obviously, they, they did struggle uh, in the first half, uh, trying to get their wingers into the game. Heskey was just you know, in no man's land. But yeah. Heskey was Heskey. Yeah. One, once Newcastle get going... They are they are a very entertaining side to watch, I have to admit. And you've got to say that 3-3, super game for the neutrals. Yes. Um, hopefully we can see some more um, you know, some more spectacles like that because the first few rounds were fantastic, but we have started to see a bit of a drop-off, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, more goals. Yeah, more goals, more better goals for spectators. Is definitely <laughs> what <laughs> there was. Yeah. Uh, you can on. never have enough. Yeah. So we'll move on to the next Melbourne uh, match. And the victory got a 2-0 win over the Wanderers, but admittedly they were... Down to ten men for a fair portion of the game, but it was nice to see the victory. Well, the, thing, the big thing about the raw this season that they haven't been able to do is that one side sit back; they haven't had that cutting edge to break a side down. Which the victory have been showing a lot more recently. They're starting to get more fluidity to their passing, even without Flores this weekend. And they, yeah, they're, it's very impressive. Uh, Thompson and Rojas are working wonders together. That's that's such a good sign. To see from them, plus plus the Wanderers, I think, didn't look their usual solid yeah. self in defence. I mean, uh, the I've been saying that the last couple of weeks that Western Sydney looks solid. They're one of the better defensive sides. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah ho- hopefully we can see a bit more from Melbourne victory. Uh, it is a bit of a shame to see Wanderers, you know, fall to a loss. They've been in a really good run of form lately, but yeah, there's still been. Really Reality impressive check for them, maybe. Yeah, really impressive for a debut season. I think Andy's just coming into his own now. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, we'll just quickly wrap up the other two games from weekend. Uh, Perth Glory in the you know longest derby in world football. Yada yada yada. Perth to Wellington, whatnot. Um, <laughs> so, fly up so Wellington have been really good on the road this season. I can't. Yeah, they've they've only lost I think one game on the road, which has been really impressive. They've got to f- rediscover their home form. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today, guys. But thanks for coming in. And if you're going to the near post, uh, get there first. The near post, get there first. Don't get there second. Don't get there third. The near post, get there first. If it's for football news that you thirst. The near post, get there.